You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the locals' weekly look back at what's making the news in Sweden. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 18th of August. This week we'll discuss the relentless flow of policy pledges that parties say will aid integration, often with little backing from experts. We'll examine which parties have most money to spend on campaigning and how they're spending it. We'll take a closer look at a story on the local this week about which banks offer mortgages to foreigners. And finally, we'll listen to Richard's interview with Sweden Democrat leader Jimmy Okeson, and we'll talk about how his party is likely to do in the election. I'm Paul Omani and I'm joined today by James Savage in Stockholm and Becky Waterton and Richard Orange in Malmö. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 So before we get to the stories, can we just talk about crayfish parties? Because it's that time of the year again. <laughs> Why are crayfish parties or kreftkvivor such a big thing in Sweden? And what's what's the history behind them, Richard? Yeah, well, it's it's not as ancient as you might think, actually. I mean, the first time I'd sort of had a quick look back before this, and the first time it's been mentioned in text was, was 1931. But apparently crayfish have been food for sort of royalty in the upper classes since you know, effectively forever. But what really made it take off, uh, paradoxically, was that there was a, a something called crayfish plague, which killed a lot of Sweden's own crayfish, which meant they started importing crayfish from Turkey in the in the 70s and 80s. And that massively brought down the price. And then it became what we have today, which is something for everybody, supermarkets full of crayfish. So before, right. before um, this creft pest or uh, crayfish plague. It was it was only for the sort of elite, but now obviously you see them stacked up in their own fridge in your local supermarket. Mm. So it's, it's something that's for everyone. So it's only the last 30, 40 years that it's been a um, a folk fest. A sort didn't, of, mm. didn't there used to be a rule that you could only eat crayfish when the crayfish premiere? Like there was a specific date after which you could eat crayfish in Sweden. I think it was the first Monday in August. Yes, and I think that was also linked to this craft pass that there was a shortage of crayfish, so they wanted to reduce consumption. Yeah, so they had, yeah. mm-hmm. and 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 so now I don't know when they got rid of that law, but now you can eat them whenever. But yeah. but most yeah. people still wait for the premiere. Right, but, but, but I mean, I think the thing, what happened there, I think, that, so there are two kinds of crayfish. There's the Swedish native crayfish, which is called the flodkräfta. And then basically, from what I understand, that the kräftpest was introduced to Sweden by the introduction of a of a North American kind of crayfish called the signalkräfta. And that introduced kräftpest. And now signalkräfta, or the signal crayfish, funny enough, that is now the dominant, is that's 85% of the, of, the, of, of the crayfish in Swedish waters. And it's, and it's classed as an invasive species. So, 
basically you're doing you're doing a good deed if you eat uh, crayfish from Swedish waters because it's likely to be a, a signal crayfish and it's and you are and you are then uh, helping with pest control. Although you have to be careful eating the crayfish from Swedish waters because they've got very high levels of PFAS chemicals. Oh, tell oh us tell us more, God. Becky. <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> anyone been reading the news you're not allowed to have any fun don't even think about no, it don't worry you, you can have between three and six a week uh, uh signal craft door and still be within <laughs> safe pfas levels if anyone's wondering what we're talking about go and read richard's article on the site where he he takes a very funny pop at the swedish media's tendency to piss on any fun that people are having so when we start eating crayfish there's always a horror story like there was this week about how crayfish are poisoning you as what actually happens at a crayfish party james it's like all Swedish pods, you get wasted and sing songs and um, and eat, uh, eat eat crayfish and you eat crayfish in a special way. There are all sorts of uh, ways to eat crayfish. You suck the you suck the juices out the middle, which is sort of saltwater, briny, dill flavored juice. Um, <laughs> you kind of you scoop out the brains, which they call the kreft smur, the crayfish butter. It's really gross. And then yeah, you sing drinking songs. You. Um, uh, if you are like in the like always in the summer, if you're anywhere near a lake, you might hop in the lake. Probably shouldn't because you probably had something to drink, um, mm. and you might play various party games. You might play cub, which is this um, you know outdoor game where you're um, knocking down bits of wood. Um, <laughs> you've got you've got to, you've got you've got to see it. To you're really selling this. It. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not one of my one of my favourite parts of crayfish parties is all the decorations. It's like all of these adults sitting mm. in like plastic bibs with crayfish on, with party hats with crayfish on, crayfish garlands everywhere, everything just crayfish, candles, everything. And I just, it's just yeah. so strange not as a non-Swede looking in the supermarket being like, why do they have this whole section in the supermarket of just decorations with crayfish on? Oh, yeah. It and you could get, so I mean, you can get, you can spend proper money on it as well. I mean, you can get whole... I mean, uh, a, f- a friend of mine who often invites us to his crayfish party. Here's a here's a whole you know, set of plates and cutlery with all you know all in crayfish theme. And you go to you go to any secondhand shop and you can uh, you, you can get yourself a whole range of cra- of crayfish kitsch um, mm. for your kitchen yeah, cupboards that you can use once a year. It's a big deal, but yeah, we've got a lot of stories to talk about. So let's let's move on from the crayfish now. But a quick request before we move on to the, today's stories: if you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you rate it and give it a review on your podcast app. It helps get the word out and by extension encourages more people to become paying members of the local, which is what allows us to keep going. Last week, we uh, talked about what Sweden's political parties were saying about immigration and integration and breaking segregation as the election draws close. But it's like they just can't stop now. And there's a conveyor belt of new policy ideas being pumped out at an alarming rate. But are any of them sensible or are they, as many observers suggest, thinly veiled xenophobic dog whistles? Let's look at some of them. And I stress that these are just the ones that have cropped up since we recorded the last episode a week ago. So, yeah, in the last episode, we mentioned how the Liberal Party leader, Johan Passion, was being criticised for suggesting that two-year-olds in vulnerable areas should be forced to go to preschool if they didn't speak Swedish or risk being separated from their parents. This week, the ruling Social Democrats also weighed in on immigrant kids and preschools. What are they saying, Becky? Yeah, so the, the Social Democrats are not out for two-year-olds, they're out for three-year-olds. They decided that... So it's weirdly phrased. So they say that the municipalities... It's mandatory for municipalities to sign up three-year-olds who have either recently arrived in Sweden or their parents have recently arrived in Sweden for preschool. 
uh, and the idea is that they'll learn Swedish. But that doesn't mean that preschool is mandatory for all three-year-olds of immigrants because the parents can just say, we don't want our kid to do that. So it's kind of, it's all, the, all of the, the mandatory part of it is for the, for the municipalities. They have to sign up right. for the kids for preschool and then they also have to actively find out who in their municipality can take Swedish for immigrants classes and then try and encourage them to go. Instead of like putting all the pressure on the parents to do it, it's putting the pressure on the municipalities. And the hope is that you get a letter in the post that says, hey, your kid's starting at this and this preschool on this date. And then parents will just take their kids there instead of having to like actively go and find a preschool to sign them up. For. Right. OK, well, and what's, what's the reaction been like to this? Anybody, anybody seen reaction to this? Not really to the same extent that we did for the Liberals. I think for the Liberals, all of that kind of, like we said last week, it was all about Johan Persson saying, oh, yeah, well, the kids will get taken away if you don't do yeah. this. Um, but this yeah. has been a lot more like, yeah, we're going to put the pressure on the municipalities and they're going to kind of sort it out. But don't worry, you can just decide not to do it. Ugerman, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as it wasn't nearly as controversial as the as the Liberals one. No. Let's, I, I think it's also it's it's kind of easier for the Social Democrats to launch these kinds of policies as well. I think, you know, with the Liberals, particularly since they've gone over to be on the same side as the Sweden Democrats, you know, they, they are they open themselves up to much more criticism on, on these kinds of uh, issues, whereas the, the Social Democrats kind of feel and I think they're treated as though they have a, a sl- slightly more leeway to come up with quite draconian mm. um, proposals when it comes to um, and speaking of speaking of draconian proposals the the sweden democrats came out with one uh, yesterday did anybody see what they said they were gonna do like humiliating punishments for nine-year-olds i mean i say humiliating it's it's just like they would give them punishments like cleaning toilets and the whole aim is that this would make you less cool if you're in a gang because all your child gang members see you cleaning toilets or like scraping chewing gum off the streets and think and make fun of you which i have to say is completely the opposite of the impact that happened at school when they tried to do you know when i was at school they would do that they'd make you sort of do some sort of ridiculous picking up paper from the floor of the Mm. classroom or something and the cool kids who did that managed to do it in such a surly way that i don't think it did anything (laughs) against their status at all you know i can completely like i'm not sure that would work i think that might misunderstand how uh, the pecking order works among nine-year-olds yeah yeah right and also, like, it's a completely populist proposal because how are you going to do it? Are you going to, are you going to, how are you going to administer this punishment? How are you going to sentence people? How are you going to trial them? Are you going to have nine-year-olds going to some kind of, you know, child courts court. or something like that? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it practically, yeah. I don't see how you could do it without without putting kids who are nine already in the criminal justice system, which I'm not sure you <laughs> want to start doing really. The Christian Democrats have been getting in on this as well. What have uh, what has Ebba Bush been saying? Well, a few things. So they have proposed bringing back something called. Uh, Rieva. Um, Rieva was effectively a cooperation between various different organisations, the police and the migration agency and others, in which they were looking to identify uh, people who were illegally in Sweden and cooperate to send them out of the country. So if you were pulled aside for a, for a, for a minor offence or, um, or for, for any, any other kind of check, they would also check your ID and they would say, oh, hang on, you're a foreigner. You're not allowed in the country. We're going to throw you out and you know, process people that way. 
and that led to a lot of criticism, particularly when they started doing it in the tube in Stockholm, in the in the in the, in the subway um, subway stations. They would they would check people's tickets, and the police would be there checking people's tickets along with the transport staff, and they would also check people's ID at the same time. And if someone couldn't produce ID or produced an ID that, that showed that they were foreigners um, and they weren't allowed to be in the country, then the police would act on it and they would process them, and they would be set and they would eventually be sent out of the country. Now they were then accused of racial profiling because they weren't checking everybody, and you know there was some evidence that they were actually doing this. So the, the Christian Democrats are talking about bringing that back. They say that they would somehow avoid racial profiling and all of this. They haven't really explained exactly how it would differ this time from from last time. They also want to give the police the power to fingerprint, photograph and take DNA samples from um, people who, for whatever reason, are questioned by the police and can't prove that the, immediately they have the right to be in Sweden. So that's, that's taking it to another level. And obviously this is... Um, naturally massively controversial but look what they what are they trying to do they are trying to out sweden democrat the sweden democrats or at least indicate that they they are at least as tough on um, illegal immigration as the as the sweden democrats and that way try and win some votes off the sweden democrats you see a lot of what the moderates and the and, and christian democrats are trying to do is just win just win points off the sweden democrats and make the sweden democrats as small as possible i think one of the things that i immediately thought of with this policy proposal is that like I can't immediately prove that I have the right to be in Sweden at the moment because my temporary residence permits run out. I've applied mm -hmm. for a new one. I have no document to say I've applied for a new one. And there's an eight month waiting time. So what happens if the police stop me? Are they going to DNA check me, photograph me, like fingerprint me just because they haven't given me my documents in time? This is another thing. Like if you want this to work, you also need to make sure that the system works and that you give the people the documents they require. Because someone could easily say you don't have the right to be... I mean, I do have the right to be in Sweden while I'm waiting, but I don't have a document that says I've applied for a new... For, like, I don't have anything that proves that I've applied for a new residence permit. You need to sort for issues like that out as well so people don't... People aren't scared of travelling. People aren't scared of getting caught. I don't want to leave Sweden and come back into the country because I can't prove at the border control that I have a residence permit. But th their attitude will be, well, if you... You know, if if you can't prove it, but you have the right to stay, you will eventually be, you know, eliminated from inquiries, so to speak. And um, still, like if that, you, that, if you I don't have the right have to, to stay, then you shouldn't to be DNA here. Samples. So, I have to I subject to DNA samples, fingerprints, photographs when it's the government who haven't provided me with a document saying that I've applied. Yeah, there was another co really controversial idea in the last few days that came from the moderate party in Stockholm, who want to tackle gang crime by carrying out rapid screening of all children in so-called vulnerable areas for the neurological disorder ADHD. What's the reasoning behind this proposal, and why is it being criticised, Richard? Well, on the face of it, it, it the logic the logic makes sense. I mean, because young, young criminals in Sweden, whether they come from vulnerable areas or not, often. Um, if you screen them for ADHD, you know, research suggests that I think, you know, that they have a higher rates of ADHD, which is not surprising because you commit more crimes if you're impulsive and ADHD is basically describes people who are impulsive. So the idea is if you can catch people with ADHD early, treat them, then they won't end up dealing drugs, committing crimes or doing all the things that get them into prison. And that will bring down crime in the vulnerable areas. But it's 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 classic dog whistle politics, because if you're a Sweden Democrat supporter, what you hear when that policy is put to you is that immigrant kids are insane and mentally ill and we're going to drug them up so they behave, which, which you know, you go, oh, that makes sense if you're a sort of tough on crime type person. But, but, but it, it works really well 
well, because then when the Social Democrats, as they did, come out and go, you're trying to just medicate people out of gangs, it's trying to medicate away the gangs, they can then come back and go, well, how can you be against increasing psychiatric care provision in underserved uh, districts of the country, which seems very reasonable and humanitarian. So it kind of works both ways. They can play it both ways. It's quite a clever policy in a way. Uh, and it's got the reaction, I think, has been pretty... I don't think it's worked. I can imagine they thought this is going to be this is, this is a clever policy, but but when it came out, I don't feel that it went down very well because for the f the first thing that happened is that a lot of the sort of psych psychiatrists in those areas said this just isn't anchored in reality. This isn't this isn't what we want. This isn't what we need. That we don't have the resources. It, it's just not not a sensible policy. Didn't they also get criticised because the moderates had actually been the ones closing down absolutely, the psychiatric yeah, centres? Yeah. Absolutely, like 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 lots of people came out and said, yeah, the moderates have shut down se seven of the six. 16 child psychiatry units in the region over the last few years so that's mm. uh, so, so immediately by doing this in Stockholm you, you immediately drew attention to, to the fact they haven't been promoting child psychiatry uh, which leads you to believe that this is actually more of a it's more of a populist anti-immigrant policy but but a question is what have people heard what have, what have ordinary voters heard and you know, it's obviously opened them up to criticism from 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 the other side of politics, um, and from 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 their political rivals. But ultimately, people have heard a message that the moderates want to get tough on problem children in the suburbs, and that's probably the message they wanted to get across. So I don't I no. don't necessarily think that, that you know the fact that other people have you know shot it down is necessarily going to mean that the moderates don't feel that they've got got a message across that they want to get across here. No, that's true. And I mean and the other people who were quite upset about it were you know sort of ADHD patient groups who one person on Twitter said that this policy manages the feat of like not only being racist but also being ableist because it's basically saying that uh, if you if your kid has ADHD they're more likely to become a uh, gang criminal uh, just yeah, just briefly before uh, we move on to, to mortgages, there was a big story that came out yesterday, Wednesday, about the government's new policy on um, helping people to pay their energy bills. Yeah, so we kind of touched on it last week with the moderates. Oh, wait, it was a week before. Uh, the moderates saying, oh, we should pay for people's energy bills. And the Social Democrats obviously saw that that was a popular policy and have kind of adopted it, but in a slightly different way. Although what they're doing is they're taking profits from Svenska Kraftnät, which is like the state-owned energy authority. So they expect to have 60 billion kroner profits over the next year because of energy fees that uh, companies pay on the network. It's a long mm. story, they're going to have profits. Um, and what the government has said is you have to use at least half of these expected profits to make it cheaper for consumers. So that could either be that we get money just like a bonus on the energy bill. It could also be that they kind of funnel it into the market to make it cheaper for consumers. It's not entirely obvious how it's actually going to make a difference, like how it's going to work. But the aim of the policy is that it's going to kind of remove some of the cost of energy bills. And it's also going to be specifically um, targeted to the regions of Sweden that are most most affected by high energy bills. So, for example, yesterday, so that was Wednesday, um, energy prices in Skolna were at seven krona per uh, kilowatt hour. And energy prices in the north of the country were two, uh, 0.02 krona per kilowatt hour. So that's like a vast difference. So these um, mm. new measures are going to be targeted to, to southern Sweden and to Skolna, so the areas that are more affected. Yeah, so that's good news for, for you and Richard. Yes. Maybe, maybe, may, I mean, you know, middle Sweden, 
look where Stockholm is is kind of somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's not it's definitely not as bad here as in Skorna, but it is not um, certainly nothing like the the, the low prices uh, that they have in in Norland. So we'll stick with you, Becky, and return to something we uh, spoke about briefly last week when you mentioned that your bank had turned you down for a mortgage because you didn't have permanent residency. And you've been looking into this more since then. Can you tell us what you've discovered? Yeah, so I I basically sent out, I think, 16 different emails to all of the banks and mortgage providers I could find in Sweden asking, do you need permanent residency and do you need Swedish citizenship? Or do you need Swedish citizenship to take out a mortgage? So all of the major banks have got back to me, most of the people I replied to. And essentially, most banks on paper you don't need a permanent residence permit or uh, Swedish citizenship. Six banks um, said that you do need permanent residency. And the reason that number is so high is because five of them use the same mortgage provider. So um, it's like Ica Bank. They don't give out their own mortgages. They use this mortgage provider called Borgo. And that mortgage provider say that you need permanent residency. But this doesn't necessarily mean that you can automatically get a mortgage if you have a temporary residence permit or if you don't live in Sweden. Because a lot of them want you to have bank e-day, which means that you have to have a personal number. Mm. Lots of them still want you to kind of have, do you have a job here? Do you work? Like, do you have a, do you study here? So it's not as simple as saying, if you don't have a temporary residence permit, you can still take out a mortgage here. There's still kind of requirements. So you might still need a personal number. You might still need to prove that you earn money in Kroner or something to get a mortgage. Yeah, so this is all explained in the in the article as well. So I'd recommend anybody um, considering taking out a, mor- a mortgage to uh, to look that up on the on the site. And we're going to return to the uh, election now. And I just want to issue a customary reminder that if you're a paying member of the local, we have a weekly newsletter called Sweden Elects that's produced by Emma Lovegreen and focuses on the upcoming election. You can sign up now at thelocal.se forward slash newsletters. Uh, By the time this podcast goes out, the election will be just 22 days away. And with campaigning very much underway, we thought we'd explore how much the parties are spending, where their money comes from and how they're using it. So let's look first at which parties have the most money. So the party that have the most money, interestingly, not the party that uses the most money. Um, So the centre party are absolutely loaded like they had a a media empire which they sold 17 years ago for 1.8 billion kroner they are absolutely loaded but then they only used 70 million kroner in the last election which is not even mm. yeah so that's not in the top like this the social democrats use the most money um, and the social democrats are also pretty rich because they have these r lotto like these lotteries that um, they finance their party with, which have also come under quite a lot of criticism. Because, I mean, I think in Sweden, like with a lot of things, you have like criticism over drinking. You also have criticism over gambling. So there's this kind of argument that the lotteries are kind of promoting gambling. But then obviously the party don't don't agree with that, because if they stop the lotteries and they'll lose one of their biggest kind of <laughs> so they kind of say it's like income. it's like it's like raffles and people enjoy them and you know don't don't take it so seriously kind of thing the party secretary Tobias Baldian said it's a good way of financing strong party work and he's described it as folklikt which is like we're just giving people what they want kind of thing yeah like good old Swedish values or something like that what are the parties spending their money on what's the, what kind of ads are they buying where you know what's their visibility like well I mean first of all they're spending them on poster campaigns you will see posters being spread all around the large cities and the small cities and the small towns and up and down the country they um from one month before the election they can pretty much 
plaster them anywhere. I think there are rules, but it's kind of hard to figure out what they are. They are, you'll, you'll see them outside, you know, at bus stops, tube stations, just down streets on railings uh, everywhere. They're also spending on social media. It's interesting, actually, to look at how they're targeting on social media. There was uh, an article in Resume, which is a media industry publication that was showing how people were targeting. And what I thought was interesting is that the social Democrats are particularly targeting older voters, which is interesting because those are the voters that the Social Democrats traditionally managed to attract in the first place. If you look at how the demographics of of, of voting um, has has worked in Sweden in the past, you, you see that Social Democrats lead massively among older voters, the over 65s and then particularly the over 75s. And among younger voters are pretty much, you know, um, are a relatively small party. But we're seeing that in the election campaign, in in their election spending at the moment, the Social Democrats are doubling down on where they are strongest, um, particularly in social media. And the moderates are focusing a little bit more on um, male voters. Mm. Um, So which is also an an area where they've where they've traditionally done quite well. So yeah, they so the parties are, you know, they're spending on social media, they're spending on poster campaigns and they seem to be targeting the voters that they've that they've traditionally done best with. I feel like we can't talk about the uh, election adverts without talking about the liberals. Johan Persson's been doing all of these adverts about like he so he's wearing like a an old 80s tie and he's going I've been campaigning for NATO since this tie was modern and I saw that um the liberals were handing out sun cream on beaches saying don't turn red this summer but I feel like no one's really thought about the fact that the flip side of that is that you should just gradually become more and more brown which obviously doesn't have great political <laughs> connotations either <laughs> And one uh, one campaign has really been in the news this week, and that's the the Sweden Democrats and their campaign on on the metro in Stockholm. Can you tell us about that, Richard? They've covered a metro train in the Sweden Democrat flowers and blue and yellow colour. But what really got attention was when uh, Tobias Anderson, who's who's an MP and I think he's their justice spokesman, yeah. he tweeted out the Autovandringstorget, which means the um, return, migration, return train. migration train. And then he said, you have a one-way ticket, next stop Kabul, which which is obviously quite full on and, uh, and got... A massive reaction from people saying this is, you know, racist, and then obviously that puts pressure on on the party that's supporting the Sweden Democrats because because suddenly the Liberals are being asked all the time, you know, what do you think of this tweet? And you know they have to say this is very distasteful. So why are you planning to go into government within the same block? But you know, in a sense, it's that's ex- exactly what the Sweden Democrats want to happen because they want it to top the news. They want to get this all over the news. And and, and I think actually I think it's when you get to this kind of dog whistle type campaigning, the Sweden Democrats are in their element, whereas the moderates and the uh, they sort of you feel like they don't really know what they're doing whereas the sweden democrats are the past masters they do something like this they get massive headlines all of their voter bases get the message that they want confirmed and it doesn't matter if it, if it horrifies um you know 60 percent of the population also their their policy they've kind of protected themselves against i mean obviously they know people are going to say it's racist but they've kind of protected themselves against this by saying, actually, no, it's not racist because the policy is optional. We just want to encourage people who want to go home. And we're, you know, we're not talking about people's people's race and all of this. So they've kind of they've, they've mm. still done it in a way when they can like plausibly deny the fact that it's racist. I think what the, what the Sweden Democrats are doing in this particular case is not dog whistle politics. Um, you know, dog whistle politics is where not everybody can hear it. But this is very, very blatantly in your face anti-immigration, anti-immigrant, potentially, 
politics. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's visible for anyone who wants to see it. So I mean, Kabul, it's anti-Afghan. It's, it's specifically saying this is for Afghans. Now get home, you know, yeah. off you go. Also, yeah. They're, yeah. they're completely playing the system. Like they know that they can't, like no one can refuse their right to kind of advertise in public spaces because under Swedish law, you have to kind of offer the same advertising rights to all political parties. So they're absolutely playing the system. They know they've done this in the middle of Stockholm because they know it's going to kind of go right into the hearts of the metropolitan lefty elite. It's not that Tobias Andersson kind of went a bit off piece. Like this tweet got retweeted by the Sweden Democrats official Twitter account. It's all completely orchestrated to kind of create a Twitter storm, create a media storm create this kind of feeling like, oh, look, the left are completely having a hissy fit over this. Let's vote for the Sweden Democrats so they get even more pissed off. All of this is so orchestrated. It's not like a gaffe. It is absolutely planned from this, the start. It's what the Danish People's Party in Denmark have been absolutely brilliant at before they completely fell apart over the last few years. They, they, they would come out with these completely populist, kind of meaningless gestures that would horrify enough people that they would get the front page of the newspaper and they time it carefully and they were just uh, just brilliant at doing it and uh, and it really worked for them and i think i think it's a similar and the sweden democrats they know that that, that Ulf Christensen and and the other parties they they need their support so so there's they don't really have a, it's not going to change what will happen after the election. I think it's also a bit of a way of saying, like, we've talked, we've spoken about how the moderates and the Christian Democrats and the liberals are all kind of trying to move closer to the Sweden Democrats. But I think this is also kind of a positioning from the Sweden Democrats to say, they're not serious. We're serious about this. This is what we believe. And if you really don't want these people to be here, you should vote for us. They're just trying to be like us, but they're never going to be on the same level. Look, they're criticising us for doing this. Yeah. So it's also kind of their voters and the people that were thinking, oh, maybe I'll vote moderate. It's like, no, they're not serious. We're serious. Vote for us if you want this to happen. We've talked quite a lot about the Sweden Democrats now, and we'll be back to talk more about them after this short break. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So now on to the Sweden Democrats and their leader, Jimmy Jokasson, who held his traditional summer speech in Salvesborg in southern Sweden at the weekend. And we talked last week about how the Sweden Democrats' neo-Nazi roots made them unpalatable to many voters, but they do enjoy a lot of support in parts of the country, including towns in the south like Sovisboy. And you were there for the speech, Richard. What was the atmosphere like and what did Orkesson talk about in his speech? 
Um, it was it it was um, to use that same word that Becky used before. It was folklid. It was very like a sort of people's festival, almost like a kind of uh, summer fete you might have in a village, like a jubilee. There were you know everyone turned up early. There were you know three or four vans selling sausages in bread and and someone selling artisanal sausages there was a sort of um i don't know what you call it traditional swedish culture for ending doing like a slippery pole demonstration you know old sort of village entered sports um traditional sports and playing traditional music and lots of people who are absolutely fanatic sweden democrat supporters who you know, a very friendly. They're very, it's a, it had a very friendly atmosphere and lots of old people, uh, people of all ages, disabled people. But then if you listen to them talking, they often, you know, you, they'd be talking about stuff they'd read on alternative media about how the people working in, in the migration agency are all Arabs who give advantages to Arab people applying. So, they, they, so it's, it's a bit like going to a Trump convention, I imagine, in that, you know, that it had quite a friendly atmosphere. But but you did, if you talk to the people for a while, you realise they did tend to hold quite hard views on migration and believe things that... Probably a lot of them are not are not true. Uh, and the speech itself, uh, when he got going, there were two speeches. So the first speech was by Jimmy Orkerson's ex, Louise Erickson, which was an absolutely barnstorming and brilliant speech, actually, because she is the mayor of Solvesbury. So she came up there mm. and she talked a lot about Stockholm. You know, when we came in, the people in Stockholm, they thought this wasn't going to work, but we've shown them wrong. We've shown that we can run a commune better than anyone. And we've done this, we've done mm. this, we've done this. And she was, it was, it was actually, it was incredible. It was a really good speech. Uh, I hadn't realised what a good speaker she was actually and then Jimmy Orkerson came on afterwards and again it was a very uncompromising speech if people have been talking about how he's mellowed but I I felt it was the hardest speech I'd ever heard from him he was he didn't talk about any other party as being decent or clever so the moderates he mm. just would and the, he lumped the moderates and social democrats together as these gamla gamla partia who, who who have wrecked Sweden and only the Sweden Democrats can do it right. And yes, he, he supports Ulf Christian as prime minister, but only to change the government. It's not that he thinks he's any good. What, what I was surprised about was in a lot of his speeches recently, Ulf Christensen has given credit to the Sweden Democrats, and that was completely not returned. It, it, quite the opposite in Jimmy Orkerson's speech, which does raise questions for how it's going to be after the election if they get the majority. Yeah, it's really, really, really hard to see how a government where, this, where the Sweden Democrats and the moderates are roughly similar in size and you know and the moderates at least are dependent on Sweden, Sweden Democrats for support it's really hard to see how that government is going to be stable mm. and how it's going to work in practice yeah we're going to come back to those questions in a few minutes and uh, Richard interviewed Yumi Okusan after the speech and we're going to listen to a few minutes from the interview now and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about what he said and his party's role in the upcoming election one thing that really came across in in the speech you made was that you didn't talk about, you know, one block or another block. You just talked about the seven old parties and the Sweden Democrats. And you said that for anything to change, you can't have the old parties in government. Why don't you give sort of more credit to the people you will probably rule with? Why are you so much rejecting the moderates as much as the Social Democrats? I think that, that uh, they can't be alone in government. I think we are needed to, to, to make, it, make it as good as it can be. But, but of course... 
Um, now we have had uh, social democrats for eight years in government. Before that we had the moderates and, and the alliansen. Uh, and that was a disaster. Uh, so, uh, of course, that, that was a problem. Um, and they made a lot of um, wrong decisions, um, especially re regarding uh, immigration, uh, how to push back crime and those things. Um, but I think they have... Um, the moderates uh, are nowadays another kind of a party, uh, they have a new uh, leadership, uh, and I think they are more and more uh, coming close to our positions. Uh, so I think we can have a, a cooperation uh, that will be okay, even though they made a lot of mistakes 10 years ago. Is it enough to just support them, or, or will you need a place in government, like a ministerial positions? Because from what you're saying, they can't really be trusted on their own. If I, if I can decide on my own, of course we want to be in government. But the thing you should put in, in, in the middle that's the most important is it's what policy will they make? Uh, what decisions will they make? Uh, um, and of course we, we have a lot of proposals uh, that we think are important. And, and we expect that if we support the government they will uh, make us happy enough <laughs> and they will uh, they will um, uh, use our proposals uh, in, in a degree that we can accept uh, i think that's the, that's the most important thing not how the government will look like and what parties are, are in government with the local our readers are mainly people who are immigrants to sweden or work immigrants to sweden and on your website and in your speech it says that you know economic migration to sweden has made the country worse uh, it's very, and I think a lot of our readers would, would, would be upset by that. They think that they contribute to Sweden. Mm. What can you say to them to make them feel like you're in favour of migrants and some, some migrants coming to Sweden? Well, we have a lot of migrants that are uh, contrib contributing to, to the Swedish society and Swedish economics. Uh, they have works and they, they pay taxes and that's fine. Uh, they are not the problem. The problem are those 700,000 immigrants that cannot support themselves, that are, are in need of uh, social benefits and, and, and that kind of support, uh, and that costs a lot of money. That is the problem, not, not, the, not the good immigrants that are working and, and, uh, and uh, contribute to, to society. The Social Democrats want to bring back the old labour market testing where you know the unions got to decide on who could come to Sweden to work. That's something that people who read us are very concerned about because they think it'll be much harder to get work permits. Is that the case? I mean you support that as well. Not that particular solution but we have a problem when we have 700,000 immigrants in Sweden that cannot support themselves. Um, they should have those uh, jobs first before so we take in any more. So but we don't want the unions to have uh, the power to decide who will get a uh, permit to, to come to Sweden but we want the society in in some way have to uh, see if it's if it's needed or not um, and exactly how that's how we're going to do that I, I cannot say at this time but the moderates um, they say that we you have to you have to earn a specific amount of of um, of money uh, to get the uh, permission to, to work and I think today it's 13,000 crowns or something. Mm. And if you, can, if you can increase that a lot, 
let's say 30,000 crowns or something. Then you will get those high educated immigrants, but those who are not educated, uh, they will not come. So I think that's a better solution. That was Yimi Okason being interviewed by Richard. And what he said here about work permits was surprising, wasn't it? Well, it was because it, on the face of it, I mean, it's a departure from the from Sweden Democrats' long-standing policy, which is that they want, their long-standing policy has been that they want labour market testing for work permits. Uh, that is to say that you would only get a work permit if there has been a, a broad sort of test of the labour market to see, what well, we need these particular professions, these particular worker categories, and um, we don't need others. So that will dictate whether you get a work permit or not. Now, Sweden Democrats even have even gone out in the press and said, well, here is here is something where we could work with the with the Social Democrats to um, to on, on immigration as, as late as you know earlier this year. Now, Yumi Orkerson was saying that we certainly don't want the unions to be controlling work permits. And as far as the Social Democrats are concerned, at least, labour market testing is about basically letting the unions control work permits. Now, many of these unions are actually affiliated to the Social Democrats, so they, they, have, a, they have a vested interest in this. But that's basically how, how labour market testing would work. And what was also interesting in this interview is that Yimmy Olsen went a step further and he said that the uh, moderate and Christian Democrat ideas about, instead of having labour market testing, of having a salary threshold, which you know, in, in the case of the, um, in the moderates is around 27,000 kroner and in the case of the Christian Democrats was something like 35,000 kroner. But that salary threshold under which you basically wouldn't be able to get a work permit, but over which you would get a work, you would be able to get a work permit would be a, would be, would, was, was quite a good idea and he was, he, he was quite amenable to that. I haven't, I haven't seen him say this anywhere else. Has anybody noticed that he's told us this? Yes, we, we, we got an email from, from the um, special advisor to Anna Sigmund, who's the immigration minister, sort of listing all of the articles where the Sweden Democrats have supported labour market testing and pointing out how much of a reversal this is. So I think for the Social Democrats, it's it's a surprise. I don't know if that's because they were thinking maybe we can go across to, and, and do a deal with the Sweden Democrats after the election. In, in the interview, uh, we heard that Yimmy Okerson was asked about potential ministerial posts in a moderate-led government, and he seemed to play that down. How is it likely to play out for the Sweden Democrats if the right-wing bloc wins and the moderate party leader, Ulf Christensen, is asked to form a government? Becky? They're not that close politically. There's Yeah, there's a few... I know the moderates have been kind of talking about, oh, yeah, we've, we've got these four parties that all agree on these 11 issues, but... Lots of those issues are like, we think people should work. And I think most people think people should work. I think there is definitely going to be friction between them. I don't know if... if I, I think it would be quite a hard sell for Ulf Christensen to say, no, you can't have any ministerial positions if they end up being the same size. Um, I mean, Sweden Democrats are kind of hovering at exactly the same level as the moderates at the moment. So I think I, I think the argument that Ulf should technically be should be prime minister then is kind of I, I think Jimmy would have a good argument to say kind of okay, give us some ministerial posts. But then the argument is there are the Christian Democrats. I mean, the whole the kind of goal for the moderates has been to rule alongside Eber Bush, alongside the Christian Democrats. But then. How does that work if the Christian Democrats are so much smaller than the Sweden Democrats? Then you have this whole thing of, oh, now the Sweden Democrats are actually in government. I mean, that's going to be a big issue for a lot of people, especially Annie Luff, who's been making this kind of point the whole time that we're the only boilered party who doesn't support the Sweden Democrats. I think it's still kind of a big step for the Swedish political system or Swedish politics to kind of say, OK, not only have they controlled the budget, which was a big, big issue for lots of parties. I mean, even two elections ago... 
uh, Anna Kingbe-Batra, who was the leader of the moderates, got ousted because she said, maybe we should start talking to them. And to go from maybe we should start talking to them to, OK, well, we're happy for them to support our government to, OK, they can actually be in government in the space of, what is it, eight years. Mm-hmm. It just seems like such a big step. I can't really imagine it happening. What, what, what Jimmy Orkerson has said that, 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 that he will absolutely, in, that the Sweden Democrats will absolutely insist on is a written agreement before going into government. So I think that is the thing that they will require is something like the January agreement, which which if you remember in 2018 was super painful for the Social Democrats. It, it included loads of points that went completely against their politics that they were forced to to rule on. And I think if, if Jimmy Orkerson can inflict that kind of amount of pain on the moderates, God knows what policies they'll have to sign up for. It might be, you know, some really quite hardcore return migration policies and, and stuff like that, that they will have to to sign under in order to get his backing. I don't know about whether he, he, he wants to be in government because the Danish People's Party were much in, in Denmark were much bigger than the uh, Liberal Party, which is the Danish Conservative Party. And they stayed out of government and tried to rule, you know, had this almost like a puppet government that they had all the votes for. And the problem with that was is that voters really punished them for it. So I don't know how the Sweden Democrats will will look at it because Danish People's Party was sort of you had your chance and you turned it down. Hmm. So why should we vote for you? You know, if you don't have the guts to go into government. Except I think you look. I think the the other the other comparison now is the the centre party and the left party in Sweden. If you look at what actually happened to the centre party, now they are way down in the polls. But if you if you look at what happened to the centre party when they had a hold over the Social Democrats and they were able to inflict all this all, all these policies on the Social Democrats without actually being without actually being in government and having to you know defend the whole range of government policy. They won from that big time. They were they, 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 they soared in the polls for a while. It was only when the whole agreement collapsed, the whole January agreement collapsed effectively, that they that they started dipping in the polls. Um, and now with the left party, when they're standing on the sidelines and kind of holding a torch to the, the Social Democrats, it's benefited them in the polls. So I think if you can if you can position yourself in that way where you're basically stand you're you're not taking any of the responsibility but you are demonstrating that you're affecting policy you can kind of have the best of both worlds and by the look of the by look of the maths that's how it's going to be it's really the perfect situation because if people like what the moderates are doing the sweden democrats can say look at all these policies we pass and if people don't like what the moderates are doing they can say well we're not in government we've got no responsibility they can really they can get all the credit when it's good and then push away all the responsibility when it's bad. And 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 actually in his, in his speech, Jimmy Yorkson, one of the things he said that was quite striking, he said, we're the only party that has no responsibility whatsoever for the state of Sweden today. We have never contributed to any of these policies. After after so many years in opposition, wouldn't Jimmy Jokerson and the Sweden Democrats like to get their hands on a big ministry like the like the Justice Ministry, for example? Yeah, I, well, I think so. I mean, because Jimmy Jokerson has been in politics a hell of a long time. He must get quite bored with the same situation. I mean, just in terms of his own career, I mean, I think it would be a position in government for a, for a term and then he can sort of step down would be kind of a good way of ending it. But, you know, it's, it is always tempting for parties to, and for, particularly for party leaders to want to go into government. The party that's looking most like, it's, like it might want to go from being a supporting party to actually being a government is a centre party. Annie Love is now looking quite keen on, on getting a minister a ministerial job if she supports Magdalene Andersson after the next election, if that block wins. But you wonder how, how good it will be for them electorally um, or whether it will just... Uh, 
whether it will just be nice for a while for the for the for the for the leading representatives of the party to feel like they've got some real power. Well, we've squeezed a lot in today, but that's all we've got time for this week. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Sweden in Focus, and don't forget to rate the podcast on your podcast app. Thank you, as always, for listening, and thank you to regular panelists Becky Waterton, James Savage, and Richard Orange, and sound engineer Reese Edwards. We'll be back again next Saturday with a new episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.